As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of One of These Years. Lions offseason continuing uh, and into the, I guess we'll say, uh, T-shirts and shorts practice season, right? Colton, I don't know what the hell this is. Yep. This is like the... <laughs> it's a good description, yeah. I like the run, around, run around season. Everybody sort of gets back and, uh, yeah, this is the time uh, of the NFL calendar that they really don't tell the rookies about, I feel like, because I think that a lot of them are always like, oh, we got to be there like tomorrow, like, <laughs> like right away. Yeah. So, like... But anyway, I'm Nick Bumgarner, of course, with Colton Pouncey. Uh, Colt, we doing well. Last week was rookie camp. How are we doing here? Yeah, I uh, got to see only one open practice for us, but uh, a lot of these were out there, some that weren't. Um, but overall, I think we got a good feel for like the the rookie class that they brought in, the guys. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it was character, whether it was you know some one on one position coach uh, conversations, um, and just kind of a feel for their skills. I thought it was kind of a a good little showcase for for some of the new guys that brought in. Yeah, let's uh, start with some of that, because actually we um, wrote about Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs, who didn't practice uh, on the day we were out there, although I think he did do stuff earlier in the week, right? I think that's what they'd said. So uh, I guess we'll yeah. see how that goes next week or or, or whatever. Um, but it's interesting, yeah, the personalities. Um, and the one guy, there's two guys I think that stood out the most that day, Jack Campbell and Sam Laporta, uh, both the Iowa guys who, to, to the surprise of... To the surprise of no one who's ever watched <laughs> Iowa football, those two guys look like the most ready to go uh, on the first day of rookie camp. And you mentioned the personality, Colton, and the fit. And like I, I couldn't help but note notice to myself, like just talk, listening to Laporta and Jack Campbell um, separately talk. And I was like, man, these guys are just perfect for this. They're perfect <laughs> for here. Like I mean, especially yeah. Jack Campbell. I was like. This guy's like a robot or something, like a football robot. You know what I mean? Like, he's just like, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I do not care. And it just comes across like that in such a way. And Laporta is kind of the same way, but more of like a fun-loving type. I don't know. They just, you know what I mean? They felt like great fits. Yeah. It really did uh, on day one. They're different personalities, but it's so funny seeing like them interact and clash and talk yeah. about each other. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> you have Laporta who... First of all, I and I tweeted this the other day. I, I thought Laporta was the best player in the field. Um, you know, we yeah, get into that awesome. more later, but he had a great day. And then what caught my attention was his um post practice interviews with us. He's got a great personality, very down to earth, very oh, grounded. Yeah. So I think that probably goes back to his parenting. Um, but when you talk to him, like you ask him about a play, I think there was a special teams drill, is what they called it. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of just one on one, a ball carrier, defender. 
And uh, he kind of shook Jack Campbell a little bit, got yeah. the best of him. You know, he's yeah. Iowa team. I think they were roommates at Iowa too, which is funny. Um, and he was asked about the at, at the end of practice and was just like, oh, you know, <laughs> that's my guy. Like, I was kind of more surprised that I got him. I was like, oh, I got you. And he like pointed <laughs> back and waved to him after he like ran past him. And uh, so he has this sort of down to earth personality. Like, he seems like a dude that just like yeah. enjoys playing football. It's sort of this like childlike energy that he has out there. Whereas Campbell, I think you said he's sort of like this robotic like born to play football (laughs) built to play football like wired that way which is what you want from him yeah that's right from your linebacker (laughs) he's a little bit more like serious in his demeanor (laughs) like Uh he was on the other end of that play he was asked about that and he's like you know yeah sam's a good football player but uh you know i'm just gonna come out and be better every day you know i'm just out here learning i'm out here grinding and uh you know i'm I'm gonna gonna be the best player i can be for the detroit (laughs) lions i'm gonna be that guy man it's the best jack campbell (laughs) impression ever right there He's got this like raspy voice, like yeah, it does. <laughs> I'll like keep he's working been yelling on it for a lot, pod, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> him and Chubb both have that. So, uh, oh yes. Yeah, when you hear him talk, like I watched um, Jack Campbell and Kevin Shepard working closely, and it was like every drill, you could see Shep kind of gravitating towards him because he's oh, yeah. a guy out there, right? Yeah, there were only absolutely. three linebackers; two of them mm-hmm. were like undrafted. So, a lot of one-on-one attention for uh, for Jack Campbell there. And even every time he made a mistake, he usually corrected it right away. Like Shep would tell him, this is exactly what I want you to do. Go out and do it the next time. And by the next time he had it. So Mm -hmm. a lot of that out there I saw from him. And I think that's like great one-on-one training for him. And that'll continue. You know, he's a rookie. He's going to get that hands-on experience. But in terms of what we saw that first day, I thought that was really cool to see. Um, So those two, yeah, I think those two were kind of the highlights of the day. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see a lot of guys. But Mm -hmm. I still think you saw enough of like what the Lions saw in these players and why they brought them in. Yeah. Campbell, especially, I think the stuff that you got to see about how vocal um, he was defensively on the field. Uh, And that is always something Malcolm did that last year. Uh, A lot of these young linebackers who take off to it pretty quickly, you know, you don't have time to worry about how other people are thinking about you or perceiving you. And like, it was interesting that they let let us talk to uh, Ray Agnew the day that um, we went out there Mm -hmm. for practice because Ray's an old draft pick himself, you know, an old first rounder who, went in there and like had to go in the first day and be like, I don't know any of you guys, but I'm here to take your job because they say I'm better than you. Like that kind of stuff. And like, that is such an overlooked part of all of this. And those first days, the guys who show up and look like they're still seniors on their old college teams with how they're directing traffic and pointing it. That's man, that's where it's at. And that's, you see more of that from this group and Campbell, I think was the loudest of the whole thing, but I just couldn't help but think, right? Like, He's going to fit in really well with all of these guys. He's going to fit in really well with everybody they have right now that is a player defensively because they're all all the guys that they like are like that. They all showed up and they just didn't care. They just went to work and were like, you know, we've talked so much about Jerry Jacobs beating people up on the first day, but you know, Malcolm was like day one. This is going to be a player. Of course, Aiden was that way. Sewell was that way on on the other side of the ball. And it's it felt like that with those guys, right? I mean, we'll see in pads and everything has to go. But I was telling somebody there that day that worked for the team, I was like, "Look, how many years have you come out here in rookie camp or in mini camp and just been like, oh god, a couple of these guys, <laughs> shit, I don't know what. Okay, we'll see. You know, we'll we'll see. There's none of that <laughs> here. You know, that's not this. It's not. Oh god, we'll see. It's hey, it looks pretty good. Like, well, you know, like if all goes according to plan, it should be fine. And that's to me, that's pretty telling. Yeah, I mean, obviously those guys are going to be the best players on the field, the ones that are drafted early, but I, I think it's important to see if they operate with this sort of presence around them. Yeah. And I think you saw that time and time again. Uh, 
when we were out there Saturday. Like mm-hmm. you mentioned, Campbell's very vocal. He's directing traffic, and they want him that. Like they, yep. they want him His to be job. that way. Kelvin Shepard was getting on him about like, hey, make sure you talk, make sure you're communicating with your guys, and he went out and did that. It was natural for him. It wasn't mm-hmm. forced. And I think the way that he's gonna kind of ingrain himself with the team is is sort of similar. Like he said, I think it was rookie press conference that. You know, he doesn't want to come in and just kind of, you yeah. know, stir things up. Like, he, it's something you have to earn, something that has to come organically. I think you saw that with Aiden last year. Aiden wasn't trying to be the guy and say, like, I'm I'm here exactly. to take over. This is my defense. Very quiet line. for a long time. Very yeah. qu- Almost too quiet, I think. It was and he weird finally for kind a while. of found his yeah. footing. <laughs> yeah. Finally found his voice a little bit as the season went on, too. So mm-hmm. I think you're going to see Jack Campbell kind of, uh, kind of operate the same way. And you saw that a little bit out there. But in terms of, like, the rookies, his fellow players out there, he was definitely – vocal he was kind of leading the way and, and kind of showing it without you know being this sort of over dramatic presence and i think that yeah. was important and then uh laporte on the other side uh he kind of just did it with his play like he didn't really need, yeah need he to was do the best guy talking. out there mm-hmm. he was the best guy out there he was catching everything running every route they were lining him out wide you know in line like doing it all with him and uh i know a lot of people might have been surprised that the Lions took him over Michael Mayer and some of these other tight ends and what was viewed as a stat class. But I think the more you see him, the more it makes sense. Right. Um, and talk to him too, you know, talk to him too. Yeah. I mean, like that's a lot of, if you're not following the Lions, you might be surprised by this, but like right. they really value character. They say it all the time. Football character is so important to them. And just like the way these guys are off the field mm-hmm. and it may sound like, Oh, you can't just win with a guy of a, a team full of high character guys. But when your football drive and your football character matches that off the field, like you're going to get a team of good players that are hungry, that compete, that that drive each other to be better, and I think that's important. Yeah. And so, especially in a league where everyone's talented, right? Like, what's going to be the, the factor that separates you from the pack? It's like that might be it. And so, with that's a guy like Laporta, um, you see him kind of moving around. You see him like how versatile he is. You see the way he runs, the way he moves. On top of like him being a great locker room presence, like you can already tell he's going to be one of those dudes that people just gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. So. The more you see them out there and the more you see them operate and do their thing, it's like, all right, yeah, these picks all make sense to me. This is the difference. I think we've finally found the difference. This is the difference between what we talked about with TJ Hawkinson and a lot of other tight ends and the Lions preference and how this all works. Like TJ Hawkinson's a type of guy, type of player, cares about his catches, cares about how many receptions he's had in a season. And there is nothing wrong with that, right? That nope. That is totally fine. Like he is a high-level competitor who wants to have, you know, he wants to look back on his career as a high catch guy who made a lot of plays and had a lot of yards. And you can look at my numbers and, you know, that's, that's him. That's his personality. Uh, Michael Mayer, I would, you know, I mean, I think that might kind of be his thing too. It's like, I'm going to be measured on how much I catch, how many balls I catch, how much, you know, production I have on the field. A lot of these guys look at Travis Kelsey and they see what he does for these teams. And that's great. I don't, I don't want to say that there's nothing wrong with that or that's like something that should be discouraged. I'm just saying the Lions preference in that position is a guy that is it's Sam Laporta who doesn't care. Like he that guy it, it could catch 40 passes, 20 passes, 60 passes, 100. I does I don't think he cares. I like he, he told a story there somebody asked him um do you think you surprise people with how fast you are, you know, on the field because, you know, it's yeah. uh like you're faster than we thought you were Sam is what somebody was telling him. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, prob- yeah, he's like, maybe, you know, probably, I don't know. He's like, I actually had a coach at Iowa or somebody at Iowa one time. 
he said like his freshman or sophomore year told him straight up to his face you are like completely unimpressive in every way and like you will never be a guy or whatever and he's like okay great i'm glad you think that i don't really care <laughs> and then he's just like went back to work and started way, for four years yeah, like, yeah he's like great i'm sorry I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way i guess like whatever man and then he just like kept it moving and like that right there is why people at iowa compared him to george kittle and not and why they didn't compare tj to kittle it's not physical or anything else it's the mentality and the mindset like laporta is going to give you every ounce of his body as a blocker. TJ was never going to do that, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so that's a preference, and I think that we're seeing some of that already from him, just how he carries himself. And you can see the fit, right? I mean, you know now a little bit more why they preferred him, I would say, over a Michael Mayer, who's very talented and a really good football player. Just a different preference, right? Yeah, I think that's really what it comes down to. Like, We're not trying to say TJ Hawkinson is a bad football player, probably just wasn't the best fit for this coaching staff and what right. they want other tight exactly. ends and kind of the demeanor. Because we talk so much on, on the defensive side of the ball, the demeanor you need to play for Aaron Glenn at cornerback. I do think there's some of that on the offensive side of the ball with these tight ends and yep. like what they look for in personality. Absolutely. So like, yep. It's no coincidence. It's not a sexy position. Yeah. No coincidence <laughs> that the coach played it either. Right. Like, right. They no got so many coaches on staff that have coached <laughs> that position, right? Yeah. Like the brain power of the tight end staff on, on this, on the staff is pretty impressive. So, it's no coincidence that they sought out a certain type of guy. Right. And we were saying the whole time, like, okay, just because they traded Hawkinson doesn't mean they don't value this position. They just value other things in the position. And that's why we weren't surprised to see mm-hmm. a tight end go 34th as, you know, second round as high as he did. And, you know, as we start to learn more about Laporter, I think we were starting to understand, you know, why he was the guy and why him yeah. specifically. And I talked to Scott Docterman this week, our I would be writer. He said some of the same things. Like, yep. there's a lot he of knows. Kittle in yeah. his personality. Mm-hmm. And that's important for the tight end position when you're looking for like the next guy. Not to say he's going to be this Kittle level right. player, yeah, right. But that personality, the demeanor on the football field is very important to what the Lions look for. And I saw a lot of that Saturday at Redbrook Community Camp. So you did. They might, you did. They might have a, they might have a good one on their hands. We'll and see, it's a, but. it's such a tricky thing, and it's like you never know, right? It's one of those things where you never know until they put the pads on. But I think you're right. I think they might have. I think they might have a great fit on their hands because I, I hate. I hate saying that because it's like it downgrades Hawkinson. I think Hawkinson's going to be a good NFL player for a long time as long as he stays healthy. He's a Pro Bowler. Yeah. Yeah. One of the ta- most talented pass catching tight ends in football. You know, people will look back at you know where he was drafted, and um, a lot of that is unfair criticism because he was taken so high, and it's not his fault that the Lions took him there. But like. He certainly was the best tight end in that class, I think. I don't think that anybody would argue different, but I just think that we're going to talk about Gibbs here in a second, and it's another controversial position, but like the preference of nuance within the tight end position, it's a there's a lot going on there. A lot, a lot of different tight ends. There's a lot of different yeah, tight ends, you know? And you're trying to get, I think, that your lead tight end needs to be the guy who can do all of it, all of it, without uh, giving up anything or tipping your hand and – and I think that they found that with Laporta. I think guys like Laporta and James Mitchell and Brock Wright, but the two that they drafted here are guys that he could be an H-back. He could line up as a fullback. He could be a U, a Y, F, whatever. He could move all over the place, and it not no one would be surprised. They'd be like, oh, yeah. okay, you know, I don't know what's coming, right? If TJ's out there and, you know, someone else is out there in a certain situation, it's probably going to be a pass, right? Like, we, you know, those type of things matter, for a mm-hmm. team that likes to run the ball. So, um, yeah, I think that those two had a great start to, to their first camp. Okay, Gibbs, uh, also, did, we did not see him out there. Uh, we didn't, that was, unfortunately. That was not a great. 
uh, like it was funny. Uh, it wasn't funny, but we were walking down there, um, you know, to practice. And like, I was talking to somebody. I was like, did you even tweet that Agnew said that Gibbs isn't out here? And they're like, no, I'm not even going to bother like listening to the mentions. <laughs> like he said, oh, no, it was uh, I was talking to Justin. That's what it was. And he goes, no, I just retweeted Ben Raven. He's like, I let him do it. And I just retweeted yep. He's like, and I let it. I let him Ben's just take one for the team. Yeah. <laughs> like, love you, Ben. <laughs> because yeah, right, love you, Ben. Because the minute the minute Agnew said that, he's like, well, you know, Gibbs isn't going to be out there today. I was like, oh god, like here we you go. knew it was going to be a thing. Yeah, <laughs> here we go. So honestly, it, like if you, if there was a, if there was a day before game, like he would be out there practicing, right? That's like, what that's it felt like. Yeah. yeah. So we can so, both report he did not come out in a wheelchair or have a brace on or look like anything was. Brian Branch also set out, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't. I think somebody said he tweaked something the day before, right? Like whatever it was. Yeah, he would did not see. None of them were. None of them were concerned at all. Like, no. it's rookie minicamp. It was one day <laughs> that they missed. Like, they'll be out there for OTAs. Like, we'll be we'll be fine. No need to overreact right now in no. May of the calendar. So, yeah, I don't think so either. So, I do want to talk about uh, Gibbs a little bit here. This would be a, probably a shorter episode, as there's not a whole lot going on this week. Um, because we did write about him today, um, and we wrote about specifically sort of the, um, and this brings up a larger conversation, I suppose, about the whole Lions plan with the backfield. And, you know, wh- how it breaks down essentially is, you know, Montgomery is here to replace Jamal and uh, Gibbs is here to replace Swift and take that role into into overdrive and to turn it into something much more, I think. And I think that that's, you know, I know that, you know, you watched a lot of Gibbs' stuff, not just at Bama, but also at Georgia Tech. Like, I guess I'll start with you there. Like, what, what surprised you maybe about him that you didn't quite um, know or realize, you know, on draft day? Yeah, I don't know if I would call it a surprise, but because I had watched him a little bit at Georgia Tech, because I think Michigan mm-hmm. State was recruiting him when he entered the portal. But no, that didn't, they, really they recruited a lot of guys that year, man. A they lot. did, but they had—I mean, <laughs> a lot of like Jameson Williams. Yeah, so yeah, they were they recruited on. some of those dudes. Yeah, um, they were didn't get them. No, <laughs> but yeah, uh, they did not. <laughs> I did follow like a lot of players from the portal just because uh, you know they were yeah, after some of these right. dudes, and um, so I did watch some of Gil- Gibbs's film at um Georgia Tech, and when you kind of watch both of them. You see the full picture, Alabama versus Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. It almost felt like he was more explosive at Georgia Tech. Um, yeah. A lot more like, you know, 70-yard runs and like 30-yard touchdowns, which you didn't see a, a whole lot of Alabama. I think part of that was because we discussed this the other day. Mm-hmm. Bama's offensive line was pretty trash. Wasn't, yeah, was not a normal Bama line, no. There's no reason that Bama's offensive line should ever be like as – mediocre no. in fact was. in fact i would argue that the re- it was that bad to, it was to a point where people were losing their mind questioning bryce young be- just because you know he'd gotten hurt and like people were like oh bullshit like but it's like yeah, yeah. that just wasn't a good line it just you know i think that the draft proved like ekior didn't get picked and that shocked mm-hmm. me and i thought he was better than that but yeah hey look you know these guys are the pros mm-hmm. so yeah anyway go ahead it, i would say it helped and it hurt hurt bryce because it hurt us because he got injured and it's like, all right, well, yeah, if you had right, a better exactly. offensive line, maybe he's healthy. But it helped him because, like, what's everyone say is Bryce's best trait? He had to prove his it. ability yeah. to operate in the pocket and move around and yep. create. And he had to do that, like, every single play it felt like mm-hmm. at Alabama last year yeah, because right. of that offensive line. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, when you watch Gibbs at Alabama, it seemed like, you know, uh, there were less home runs, but I think it was probably more, like, you can expect, like, a 70-yard touchdown every time he touched the ball uh, in the NFL. So I think what you saw at, at Bama is probably what you're going to see more in the NFL. But I thought at Georgia Tech, like 
he was really explosive in that offense back then. And I think he had like 1800 all purpose yards, something like that. And like right. seven touchdowns as, you know, his, as a sophomore, I think. And, um, really good player. And like, but one thing that translates both at Georgia tech and Alabama, his ability to sort of plant his foot and go and without go. breaking stride, like one yeah. cut in the second level, just making a safety miss. And I think that's what stood out to me the most when watching film and, and thinking about how he kind of fits into the Lions offense. Mm-hmm. There's so many times where the offensive line would create this massive hole and you got one man to beat. There's a safety staring you down. And what do you do? Like Jamal, a lot of times would just go down because he doesn't have that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, not going to break a ton of tackles. Swift had it a little bit more in him, but you couldn't really rely on him to stay healthy. Um, and sometimes he would kind of take the easy way out. Yep, so, bounce it outside. Um, yeah, and it's like Gibbs is a guy who's going to see it, make a move, and do his thing, and just run by you. And that's consistent in this tape. Like, it's not just a one-time thing. It's not like we'll have to coach him to do that more instead of bouncing outside. Like, no, he already right. has that in his game. You don't have to teach that. Like, what we saw in Hard Knocks with Deuce Staley and Swift – Mm-hmm. You don't have that. That was Swift's like third year in the league. You don't have to worry about <laughs> like Gibbs no. will come in as a rookie knowing what to do on these runs and knowing what to do when he gets in the second level and knowing yep. how to make a guy miss and all that stuff. So I think that's what that's me and watching film. And, and as we were kind of putting the story together, I'm just like, there's so many highlights of him just going, okay, one move, boom, cut, plant your feet, drive, go. And he mm-hmm. would do it all the time. It's like, that's going to be there all day in this offense. The thing that about that's why it's so important that people watch the Georgia Tech stuff is because he had more space there, right? He had more space to operate. And it's just because of the, you know, the line might've even been better and, you know, the competition they were playing and everything else. But like, you know, in theory, if you can scheme things up for him and block it, right. That's where the big plays come in. That's where it's like, because you're hundred percent, right. Like if you watch him at Bama last year, it's a lot of like uh, stop, start, he's getting hit behind the line or he's getting hit at the line or he's getting, he's trying to get rid of somebody like the minute he, they get on him. And in fact, it, similar conversation, I thought, and I think it worked out this way for him in the end, you know, Bryce Young getting hurt like that or the line sucking, uh, we'll say, not getting hurt, but the line being bad helped and hurt him. I think with Gibbs, the same thing could probably be said because when two parts, when Bryce went down, he Gibbs was the only thing they had. And like he was the just, only thing carrying the load and i think when you go back and people want to compare swift and gibbs of course because that's fair when you go back and you look at georgia's final year of swift's career and swift was uh, the carry numbers are very similar did not have a ton of carries it was pretty light tread swift played behind the best offensive line in the country his last year at georgia this was not that like the thing that gibbs was playing behind was uh, decidedly not the best in the country and it was nowhere near what Alabama's used to which also forced them to do a bunch of different stuff that turned into Bryce Young's survival mode meaning we also got to see Jameer Gibbs go out and run routes and just be a badass out in space yeah that unlocks like we had the one clip in there of him just running the orbit motion on the backside the whole play going to hell and Young just saying okay whatever I'm just gonna dump it to him and he still gets a first down like that is so freaking valuable in the NFL that's St. Brown. That's what he does. That's so valuable. And I think that that is the layer that most people don't see because for whatever reason, it's, you know, his context is difficult to sort of sort because he was at two different places. The line wasn't what you normally think it is when you think of Bama. And you really have to watch the tape to know that. A lot hmm. going on. There's a lot of squinting too, you know? Like there's a lot that has to go right, but you, it's not impossible at all to see that this would be 
it could be, a, you know, a big time addition there for him. Yeah, no doubt. I thought it was kind of cool that Brad Holmes said, I think it was the Texas Alabama game last year that was the first game that kind of tipped him off to Demir Gibbs and said, wow, I got to watch that player a little bit more. More, yeah. Because um, if you'll recall in that game, it was not a, an offensive shootout by any stretch of the imagination. Well, it was a dogfight. I yeah. think it was like 2019 and Alabama right. had to sneak that one out. They could not and, move uh, the ball. Yeah, right. <laughs> they couldn't. They really couldn't. Like no. the receivers were dropping everything. Bryce was under pressure the entire game. Like that game was mm-hmm. Bryce and Gibbs. Like that was sort of their offense. Yep. And that if you if you watch if you look at the box score, you would think that Gibbs maybe had a bad game because he had like 22 rushing yards and like nine <laughs> carries or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like that's the game that really like caught your eye. But when you watch it, which a lot of us did, um, what he did in the, as a receiver, he had like right. seven catches for maybe like ninety yards and a touchdown. And they were all they were possession him up movers. All over the field. Yeah, right. Yeah, it wasn't just screen passes. They were. Mm-hmm. And he's doing the Texas route. He was in motion on the outside. Like they split him out wide, and he would do these like five yard hitches. And Bryce would sometimes find him. Sometimes he would improvise. I think the touchdown he caught right was yeah. in the red zone where he was lined up as an outside receiver, and uh, he kind of runs his five yard hitch. Bryce is under pressure, kind of escapes, and is looking around. And that's just natural, instinctive. Like Gibbs is like, oh, my quarterback's under duress. I'm going to go, go and get try it. to find yeah. an open zone right. for him. Yep. As a running back, like receivers yep. are taught to do that. He's a running back, and that was so natural for him. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you think about the ways that this offense can use him, not only is he going to be a dynamic out of the backfield, but they're, they're, they can have two back sets where they have Jameer Gibbs out, out wide and David Montgomery in the backfield, or they can bring him, motion him back to the backfield and just do oh, all yeah. these different – you know, he's a chess piece for this offense, and it's really so is. valuable to have a player like that, yeah. especially the fit with him and David Montgomery is going to be a beautiful thing, in my opinion. I know some, <laughs> I think people so don't think some people don't think that the Lions upgraded at running back this year, and I think, you know, it's fair to be skeptical and just say, well, I need to see it first, but I think we're going to see it this year, and I think a lot of people, you know, Gibbs is going to make a lot of people uh, eat their words. Yeah, I, I mean, I think. We have data on the at least fact after that they, the draft that they actually did upgrade their running back uh, backfield. <laughs> but I mean, it's so true. And you know, the reason why I like Bijan the most is because he is everything Gibbs is. Plus, he's two hundred and whatever pounds, right? Two hundred twenty yeah. pounds, whatever the yeah. hell he is. Not but, as fast, but not as fast. For another, so. But he makes up for another ways. But the reason and the separation that what turns him into that bucket of like elite back is that he runs routes like a receiver, and so does Gibbs. So does Gibbs, mm-hmm. like a good receiver, not like a crappy one, right? Like when Goff talks about um, St. Brown being like quarterback friendly and like running downhill and all that sort of thing, that Gibbs does all that. Like we saw that last year. Like he, Bryce Young would probably tell you, I mean, you think about the old days of football where it's like the quarterback's best friend was the tight end, the guy who was always just like he'd go, he'd go find him and figure it out, never dropped a pass, always came back, never had – the ball was never intercepted when it was thrown to him, right? Like it always something yep. good happened when you threw the ball to him. Like that's what this guy is. And so you mentioned it that receivers are taught to do all those other things. Running backs, you hope they learn that. Like that the Swift came in at the end of an era and he played at Georgia. So it was a little bit different, where you're taught to be a running back first. You need to be able to run power. You need to be able to run counter and all the stuff that it takes. You need to be able to pass pro, all that. But really what needs to be added and is as important is you need to be able to run a route properly and catch the ball properly and be a wide receiver. You need to be a weapon yep. on offense. And that's going to become more of a thing in the next five, 10 years. And the Lions certainly feel like they've jumped the line on that. I'm sure Atlanta feels the same way, but that's why those guys are different. And I think that my takeaway on that whole thing is like, 
I wouldn't have hated it if they kept Williams, but I actually love it that they were able to add a player like Gibbs after adding and this because nobody talks about David Montgomery. You've seen him as much as anybody with the Bears. This guy's really freaking good. Like he is a very good running back who good player. has yeah. gotten a lot done in four years for a bad football team. Like I am very lying. Yeah, like I'm very interested to see what he can do behind a real line. Like it could be by the end of the year, we're like, who gives who? Like, because this guy, <laughs> if Montgomery blows up, I mean, he could blow up. Like, am I wrong in saying that? I think David Montgomery behind that line could have a Pro Bowl type year if they feed him the ball. He could. The way they fed you. He could have a career year. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, because, like, we talked about what Gibbs can do in the second level, making guys miss one one plant. Uh, Montgomery's a different type of back, but he can also evade ev- tacklers. Like, yeah. he did that. He did that in college at Iowa uh-huh. State. Like he think he led the country in in uh, missed tackles generated his mm-hmm. last year there. It's the reason why he was drafted. You know, as this mid round pick. You know, the Bears saw that they said we want this guy that's gonna. You know, when their offensive line was, was a little rough anyway. You can let's bring him this back that can kind of yeah. make up for some of those issues we have along the offensive line. He did that for years. Probably a little bit underappreciated in Chicago, but I think when you bring him over to a situation like the one the Lions have, with three Pro Bowlers on their offensive line really good unit that probably just hasn't gotten a lot of help from their backs. You add him to the mix and say, all right, do your thing. We'll do our thing. You do yours. Exactly. He's going to do it. He's going to pick up four yards and then he's going to fight for those extra yards, you know, beyond what the offensive line creates for him. He's going to yeah. break tackle. He's going to make guys miss. Like he has all of that in his game. We just haven't been able to see it. I don't think he's really been maximized in the NFL yet. No, I think absolutely not. Lions no. have a chance to do that. I think that was part of the vision. So it's like, why do you pay David Montgomery, $6 million a year for what he's done through four years in the league. That's probably understandable, but like the Lions are doing some projecting here and saying right, that yep. we get this guy here with our offensive line, he's going to be worth that $6 million, and you know we're going to get some value on that maybe by the end of it. I think that's kind of how they're thinking it. We have to see it, of course, and they have to be right on that for us to kind of c- continue justifying that. But I, I do see the vision and what they had in mind, and then you pair him with a back like Gibbs, and all of a sudden you got a really dynamic backfield that can do different things. And that's right. important for how they play offense, how right. they run the ball. They are a different team. They're kind of this throwback team that are they doing are. It in yeah. modern ways with right. the run game. Yeah. So if you don't have that elite quarterback, you know, Jared Goss is very good. You surround him with talent on the outside. They got Jameson and Amara St. Brown. In the backfield, you got Montgomery and Gibbs. And then they had the Porter. We're not even talking about him. Like, that's a really good offense with playmakers all over the field. And that can kind of make up for not having a Patrick Mahomes type. And I think that's the greatest point is that you have to know how they play football when you're evaluating or judging the lions or whatever. And a lot of people do, and a lot of people don't, but like they don't play the game the way that a lot of other teams do. They just don't. And they're pretty unapologetic for it and they're built for it, frankly. So um, when you've got the ability to put both those guys on the field together and mix and match personnel and confuse people and most important, like when you go back through, and we we did this, you go, I did this all the way through. You go back through last year, especially in the early part, when they're struggling and they're losing one possession games, and they're in games where they don't even score, like New England or whatever. And you can go back in those games and you can find five or six runs, and I'm probably being generous, where a five-yard run should have been 25 or a 15-yard run should have been a touchdown, and it wasn't mm-hmm. because Swift was hurt and wasn't there, or uh, Jamal isn't going to be the guy that makes that extra cut and isn't going to be the guy that he's going to just take what's there. He's going to take the profit, go down, like you said, and just keep going. That's what he does. And yep. like 
they do not have you play ball like that you've got to max it out like you said so if you've if you're if you're blocking a seven yard gap and you're giving your back a chance to get in the middle of the field and make some noise like it can't be a 16 yard run it needs to be like a 70 yard run <laughs> like that's yeah. what needs to happen in the NFL right like it's not Madden so I guess that not- you need more game changing plays and that's what they're trying to generate. And they're trying to generate it in different ways than a lot of other people do, but still the same. I was thinking about something the other day, and I think it almost got lost in the shuffle last year because their offense was scoring like 30 points a game and it didn't really seem like you, you were probably, you know, nitpicking if you mm-hmm. were to bring it up. But uh, someone asked Ben Johnson at, at some point last year, like, your offense is humming, like, what can you do better? And he's just like, I mean, I would prefer to score in like three plays instead of like yeah. seven, eight, nine, like right. all the sequencing I have to do basically to yeah. <laughs> come up with the touchdowns that we're scoring. Like it could be easier. And when you think A about that, easier. it's like, it's like, yeah, these holes are there. Like that five yard run should be a 25 yard run. That like yeah. 14 yard run should be like a 40 yard touchdown run. Yes. It's like it, yes. it's there. It's blocked for you. You're just not going out and doing it because you don't have the personnel, so, the so talent, well the skill, yeah. whatever. And they have that now. So I think he's going to be. A very happy man this season, and yeah. probably starting the next week here when uh, OTAs start back up. <laughs> Look, uh, that's the greatest point to end this whole on. That's so well said because we make this game so complicated on this show and everywhere else. Uh, hey, look, <laughs> the more big plays you have, the less you have to show, and the easier it is. Like that's just how. <laughs> that's why the Chiefs Novel are the concept. Chiefs. Right? You know what I mean? Like that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. But in any event, you know, I think the Lions. I think we agree with that. The Lions, uh, at least in theory, improved their ability to do that this year. I guess we'll see. Uh, how it goes. But I think that'll do it for this week. We'll go a short episode. Uh, I'll be off next week. We've got some vacation time for both of us coming up here. Colton, we do have some OTA stuff, though, so you'll be out there. I don't know if you'll be on with Chris or not next week, one or the other. We'll come back and wrap up all that uh, after. I don't know. But either way. For sure. Yeah, we'll figure something out. We'll figure something out. Lions do have some practices, though, coming up, so uh, be sure to check all that out. Colton and I have the story on Jameer Gibbs uh, up on The Athletic today, so be sure to check that out as well. And you know, give our guy James Edwards a comment about like, uh, hey, we're sorry, man, because this sucks. The Pistons, we will get through this together as a city. I hope. I didn't James, know, I didn't know it was you. a hot take to say if the team with the worst record in basketball. It was devastating. Fifth, your system's broken. I tweeted that and so many. I hate NBA Twitter, first of all. I'm oh, very happy my God. NFL. Yeah. NBA Twitter is a cesspool. And they're just like, don't be the worst team in the league. I'm just like, yeah, because okay, they can great. control their best player. Anyway, down 12 games in the year. Anyway, that's my NBA rant over. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. We were feeling for you, James. That was a horrible gut punch at the worst possible time, it felt like. But whatever. We'll move on. Lions have had worse in any event. Thanks for listening this week. Be sure to subscribe and like the show. And we'll talk to you again soon. (laughs) 